Hello friends. I'm sorry I can't be there to join you today, but I am looking forward to being in fellowship with you soon. As we look at today's passage, I'm reminded that there is a process we go through as Christians. If you're listening here as a believer, you should be able to relate to this. Step 1. We recognize our sin. We admit that we have a need. We accept we are broken and need a savior. That's called admit. Step 2, commit. We accept Jesus as our savior. We ask him into our lives and we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. Step 3, submit. Committing to Jesus means accepting him as king over our lives, studying the Bible, learning about how Jesus wants us to live our lives. But after admit, commit, submit. There is a fourth step in the process. And that's transmit. When you're a Christian, you pass the message on. As Jesus says in Acts 1:8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So step 4, we're called to be a witness and share the news about Jesus, starting with those around us today. To reach the world, we need to start at home. We need to firstly cultivate the relationships with people that we already know here in Adelaide. Our friends, family, workmates. They're the equivalent of our Jerusalem, starting with people in our neck of the woods. Transmitting the good news about Jesus is our great privilege, and the church that shines farthest shines brightest here at home. If we're not winning our city, our Jerusalem, if we're not making a difference here, then we're really going to struggle to be effective. The reality is, as we win people here for Christ, there's more people that we can deploy into our community. There's more people to love our neighbors and to care for the disadvantaged. And there's more people that can be sent out across our city and beyond. We're all missionaries, and our mission field is our city. What images do you conjure up in your mind when you think of a missionary? People overseas, third world, unstable areas, other cultures, exotic locations? Sure, there there are ministry, uh, missionaries that can be described in those ways. But a missionary is not someone who crosses the sea. A missionary is someone who sees the cross. Not someone who crosses the sea. Someone who sees the cross. So that means you can do mission. You only need to see the cross. And that's the title of our message today. See the cross. As we look at this passage of apostle Paul and Silas, who absolutely fixed their eyes on the cross and with passion and zeal went out and shared the good news of Jesus with anyone who would listen. We'll see in this passage that a seasoned evangelist such as Paul, he experienced mixed results. Some accepted, some rejected. And as we do mission, we shouldn't be surprised when we experience the same. We can't do much about the responses of others. But we can do something about our own faithfulness in sharing the good news of Jesus. It's good to prepare ourselves for what we might expect when we share the gospel. because our city needs to hear the gospel from us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that no matter where we are in our walk with you, that you would speak to us. We pray you'll open our hearts and still our minds as we look today at your word. We pray 
that you would ignite a passion in us to be able to share your gospel truths with others, no matter what kind of response we get. That, we'd be, that we would be faithful witnesses of you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. I trust that you have your Bibles with yourself. Keeping your finger there at chapter 17 that we're looking at, if you could just turn back a page to chapter 16, you'll see that just prior to this passage, Paul and Silas were in a town called Philippi, where they established a church with a core group of believers. For their efforts there, they were beaten, flogged, thrown into prison. But still sore from that, they left Philippi and travelled 150 kilometres through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia until they reached Thessalonica, the capital of Macedonia. Thessalonica was an important city politically and commercially and had a population of 200,000. We learn in verse 1 of chapter 17 that Thessalonica had a synagogue which indicates an established Jewish population was present there as a synagogue was not just a place of worship but a central part of the social and religious life of a Jewish believer. What does Paul and Silas do in verse 2? It says, as, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. I'm back in chapter 17. He went into the synagogue, and we see the same in verse 10. On arriving there in Berea, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Paul himself was a Jew, and he loved his people. So he went to the synagogue first to speak with his people. The synagogue had both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, who were Gentile believers that had not yet been circumcised. Those attending the synagogue would have believed in God, but they wouldn't have known Jesus, nor their need for him. And as was customary for Paul, he would go there first and share the gospel with them. It's important to reflect, Paul goes to them. And not once, but over the course of three Sabbaths, or three weeks. He spent time with them, cultivating the relationship with them, earning their trust, and answering their questions. Are we expecting people come to us? Or are we hearing our call to go wherever it is that the Lord might be leading us to? Let me share the story about an inner city church. It was located in the part of town where there were few residents. They were offered a great deal of money for their site and had to make an important decision. The money would enable the church to move to another part of town where they would find many more people to serve. This was exciting to some of the congregation, but other members were resistant to the idea, pointing out that the church was the guardian of a building whose history and architecture reached back to the early 19th century. Denominational history had been made in that building. Eventually, the congregation decided to sell the site and make the move to a new building in a teeming inner city neighbourhood. The pastor said, we had to decide whether we wanted to be in a museum or in mission. They couldn't have it both ways. As missionaries in our city, are we expecting people to come to us? Or are we prepared to go? Research conducted by McRindle on faith and belief in Australia shows that 8% of Australian adults do not know any Christians. That's 1.5 million people nationally. 
about 100,000 in Adelaide, that don't know a Christian? What efforts do we make to connect with those that don't know Jesus? What about our current networks? Are we cultivating the relationships with people we already know? Our friends, family, workmates. After the service, could we phone someone, have a chat to them, in order to check in and strengthen a relationship? Our city needs to hear the gospel from us. The Jewish audience at the synagogue would have been a sceptical audience to Paul's message. They were not yet ready to believe the message because of their cultural influences, their upbringing, and what they'd already been taught. And as missionaries in in our city, we too should expect that kind of sceptical audience as we share the gospel and prepare for that. How does Paul approach these things in verses 2 and 3? On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Can you spot the three things that Paul is doing as he shares the gospel with his fellow Jews? He's spending time with them, he reasons with them, and he proclaims Jesus by explaining and proving his arguments. And most importantly, what was the authority, the source of truth that Paul is using? It was the scriptures. Let's have a look at each of these. Paul invested time. Over the course of three weeks, Paul invested his time with them. The vast majority of evangelism is relational and requires us to get involved in the lives of others. Mission organisations don't send people to a region for days, but for weeks and sometimes decades. When reading through the gospel with an unbelieving friend, I don't do that over one sitting, but that's done over many weeks. Mission requires us to invest our time because the majority of mission is relational. And because it involves time, our character matters. The more we spend with people, the harder it is to be fake. Those around us will quickly pick up on discrepancies between what we say and how we live. Research conducted by McCrindle showed that the top attractor for someone to consider religion who wasn't already religious was to see people living out a genuine faith. Our character matters, friends. So as Paul spends time with them because he loves them, he wants to get to know them, and he wants them to know who Jesus is and what he's done. We also see that Paul reasoned from the scriptures. He didn't merely preach at them. This wasn't a one-way conversation or lecture. This was a dialogue between Paul and those at the synagogue, an exchange of questions and answers. Paul examined the differences of opinion. James 1.19 encourages us to be quick to listen. And dialogue like this is not possible without active listening. As missionaries in our city, we need to listen to the stories that people have. We need to listen to their objections. We need to listen where they're coming from. Then we need to consider how best to respond in order to meet them where they're at. Our responses need to be based on scripture, based on the word of God. This is not about our ideas, and we can't twist or water down the truth in our dialogue. So our responses should be prayerfully considered. 
Have you thought about how you might respond to these questions, drawing on scriptural truth? If there is a God, then he will see that I'm a good person. Why won't God heal my family member? All religions have the same God that's packaged up in different ways. If you don't have answers, then that's okay. Sometimes not knowing these answers may stop us from sharing our faith because of the questions that may follow. And so my encouragement is to study the Bible. Most Bibles have a section at the back called a concordance, where topics and keywords uh, can be looked up and they'll point you to relevant passages. Ask questions to those at church. Ephesians 4, 1-16 encourages us to be in community at church so that we can support each other, mature and grow together. If you're not in a home group, join one. It's a great forum to ask questions and then study the Bible together to see what it has to say about that. As missionaries to our city, we need to listen. Then we need to consider how to respond. In our passage today, Paul reasoned from the scriptures. Because in the synagogue, the scriptures, which are the Old Testament in our Bibles today, was something that they held to. So this was a great starting point for Paul in this situation. The second half of Acts 17 looks at a different situation in Athens, where the audience that Paul reasons with did not hold to the scriptures. They had no understanding of the Old Testament. And so that required a different starting point, and that was worldviews. A worldview is our encompassing perspective over everything that exists and everything that matters to us. It represents our most fundamental beliefs and assumptions about this world that we live in. It's shaped by our personal experiences, the environment we grew up in, our internal reflections, and the cultural influences surrounding us. Our worldview forms our answers to the big questions of human existence and about life. We all have our worldviews, and often disagreements on controversial issues can be traced back to fundamental differences in worldview. We don't need to look much further than the opinions surrounding COVID responses. Is it a health-first or economy-first approach? When we dialogue with those around us, understanding their worldview is an important thing. It helps us understand their life and the experiences shaping the questions and objections that might come from them. Before the conversation can be led towards gospel truth, by spending time with people, by listening to what they have to say, we can get an understanding of their worldviews and we can shape our responses. Paul starts his reasoning with the scripture as, for those in the synagogue, that's where they were at. He drew upon things that they could understand and relate to. But ultimately, he gets to the scriptures and he gets to the gospel truth contained in them. In verse 3, Paul proclaimed, explained and proved that Jesus is the Messiah that had to suffer and rise from the dead. The Jews were expecting a Messiah to be someone that would save them from occupation and oppression, much like the Exodus when God freed the nation of Israel from the oppression of Egypt. But Jesus wasn't a military figure. Jesus suffered greatly and faced great opposition from Jewish leaders. Jesus was wrongly convicted based on false testimony and was executed in the most horrific way. But he overcame death and rose three days later. 
This sort of Messiah was not what the Jewish nation was expecting. Paul needed to address this stumbling block in their minds, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Jesus to go through all of that. Ultimately, what Paul was doing was evangelizing the gospel message, highlighting the need for Jesus, that there is sin that separates us from God, and that Jesus is the answer to that. That Jesus' perfect life satisfied the requirement of God's holiness. That Jesus' death was a substitute required for the forgiveness of someone's sin. That Jesus' resurrection demonstrates that forgiveness. That the payment for our sins has been, expe- uh, has been accepted. It is finished. That Jesus' suffering, death and resurrection were the very things that broke the back of sin and brought us back into relationship with God. For all the reasoning and answering of questions, ultimately, we need to get to the point of showing somebody their need for Jesus and showing them that Jesus is the answer to that need. As missionaries in our city today, we can't go and show someone the tomb of Jesus. But we do have plenty of evidence. The New Testament Gospels were written eyewitness testimony of people who journeyed with Jesus, drawing on the accounts of people who were there Many individuals were named in these accounts, inviting those in the first century to go and check it out for themselves and speak to those individuals to corroborate the stories. These statements were considered reliable by the early church. And so the New Testament was faithfully preserved and distributed, which is why we have it today. All of these events happened. Jesus was a real person and it calls for a response to either have faith in him and what he's accomplished, or to not. Many of the people that we share with will be sceptical, and it's a process of helping them to understand. This is why mission is relational and requires the investment of time. Our city needs to hear the gospel from us. And if you're listening today and you are sceptical and don't yet believe in Jesus, then I want to say thank you for joining us, and for you to know that this church is a safe place where you can explore who Jesus is. It's a church where you're free to ask your questions. And our prayer is that in time, you'll come to know the love and peace that Jesus offers. Paul proclaimed Jesus and explained and proved why Jesus was the answer. And finally, I want to talk about the responses of that synagogue in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. When sharing the gospel message, some respond and some don't. And that's a common theme that we see throughout the book of Acts. But we also see here this violent reaction where a mob is stirred up, quite an angry response motivated by jealousy. Perhaps because of the financial reasons as believers left the synagogue, or perhaps because the gospel is a message of hope and grace and not one about works. The jealousy jealousy is so strong that later we read in verse 13 an extreme reaction where they travelled to a nearby town to cause trouble when they heard Paul and Silas were there. 
Whatever the reason, it was quite a response. And the charge they make against Paul and Silas are shown in verses 6 and 7. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city official, shouting, These men, who have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Paul and Silas are accused of causing trouble all over the world. Other translations, like the ESV, say they were turning the world upside down. The legal charge they make is that they are inciting trouble against the Roman government by advocating an alternate kingdom that is challenging the authority of Empress Caesar. Jason has been caught in the middle of all of this and is on the receiving end of the anger. In our city, we are fortunate that it's extremely unlikely that we'll experience such a response. Though in our minds we may imagine extreme responses, it's unlikely, and we shouldn't let that discourage us. However, the reality is, our brothers and sisters serving in other parts of the world, this can be a reality, where gospel service genuinely threatens their lives. These accusations being made against Paul and Silas have some truth, but are essentially a twisted truth to serve the purposes of those inciting the riot. Inferring that Paul and Cyrus were there to challenge the political structures. The gospel will turn the world upside down for people. Submitting our lives to Jesus changes many things. To follow Jesus means to die to yourself. Some people lose friends and family. Others may have to change behaviours and learn to live a new normal. The gospel challenges what we worship and what we love. A Christian starts to live a new life that's different from their old one once they accept Jesus. And for this, this is the hard truth to accept, that they need to relinquish control of their life to Jesus. And so this leads to opposition, and there will be, op- and there will be opposition when we share the gospel. Our response is to see the cross, that our strength comes from Jesus, that our identity comes from him and not from those around us. In verses 8 and 9, we see that Jason and other believers were required to post bond. Essentially, they put their property up as collateral that they would lose if Paul and Silas were found in the town. Paul likely reflected on this when he writes to the believers in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. But amongst all of this, The believers at Thessalonica maintained their faith despite the opposition and were faithful witnesses. And we can read all about that in 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 to 3. So Paul and Silas leave Thessalonica. From verse 10, they travelled to the nearby town of Berea and reasoned with those in the synagogue there. What is encouraging about this is the response of the Bereans there in verses 11 and 12. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, and as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. These Bereans were described as being more noble, not because of any position or rank, or because they were better Jews, but because they explored and tested the message they were receiving 
they, t- they looked quite closely at it. And that might be why many of them believed, because they came to that conclusion themselves. And there are two points we can make here. Firstly, when sharing the gospel, some will respond this way. They'll receive the message, eagerly, and want to check it out for themselves, studying what the Bible has to say, rather than just accepting at face value what they're being told. It's wonderful to see this in action. And when someone is hungry for the word, the best thing you can do is support and encourage them and help them to navigate through the Bible. And secondly, there's a message there for us as well, to be like the Bereans. We too shouldn't accept things at face value, but rather every idea, thought or statement made to us, even the things that I say today, should be tested and examined against scripture. That's why being part of a church that pulls out the Bible every service and teaches from the Bible is so important because it is the word of God. Friends, let's bring all this together as believers. We're called to be a witness of Jesus in our character, in the way we live our lives, but also to share and spread the gospel truths of Jesus. We're all missionaries, and our mission field is our city. Because mission is relational, it will start with us. We need to cultivate relationships around us. We need to invest time in people. Two-way dialogue is important. Just as important as listening and understanding the views of those around us. There will be different responses. And so if rejected, it's not something that we take personally, but rather prayerfully as we continue to see the cross. We pray that there will be opportunities for us to share. Mission isn't accomplished in a day, but we need to start somewhere. I'm sure you all have one person that you could call today to strengthen a relationship so that when an opportunity comes, you're able to share Jesus. We're coming close to Christmas, and for many, this is going to be a time of the year that's different. Travel bans, issues getting, leaving the country, disconnected from family. Christmas is going to be different for a lot of people. So is there something that you can do about that? Can you invite someone to your home for Christmas and share in community with them and to strengthen the relationship? Our city needs to hear the gospel from us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done. We thank you that you sent your son so that we could be close to you again. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that helps us to understand your word and to understand who you are. And we recognise the faithful efforts of believers throughout time who spread your truths so that we could be here today as believers of Jesus. We pray that you will strengthen us in the areas that we lack when it comes to mission. We pray for opportunities to share and for ears to be opened so that more people in our city will come to know your love and care. Help us to apply your word to our lives this week and help us as a community of believers to encourage each other in our walk with you. In your name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen. God bless you, and God be with you this week. Thanks, friends.